0: Good morning, morning. I guess y'all can hear me okay. (laughs) It's a great pleasure to be with you once again. Uh, It's been too long and uh, Kathy has contacted me several times and unfortunately our schedules just didn't match, but I am so happy to be with you on such a beautiful day. I was talking just a little while ago about how pleasant to me the drive is here. You know, it is a pretty long haul to Little Rock, but coming through all this farm country just brings back just so many memories for me because I grew up in the Louisiana Delta on a farm in my younger days. And as I was coming through just this side of Marvel, there appears to be like a feedlot out there, not very large. And, you know, it really got me thinking about how progressive we were when I was living on the farm. Now those of you in my generation can understand what I'm about to say because I got to thinking, you know, we were eating cage-free eggs. And not only that, if, we were, if things worked out well on Sunday, we would be having for Sunday lunch a non-antibiotic chicken fed with organic corn and was free range. So we were eating this fancy stuff, and we really didn't even know it. So now the scripture I've chosen today, and if you want to go ahead and turn there, it's in Luke chapter 23. And we're going to be looking at verses 35 through 43. And I'm sure as you get there, you're going to think, wait a minute, he's running a few weeks late here. But bear with me, and you'll see where I'm going. Because the scripture I've chosen is one that I know most, if not all of you, have probably read at some point in the last couple of weeks. Easter is the time that we normally read this passage of scripture. And it's a time that we reflect and meditate on the crucifixion and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And we rejoice in the hope that we have here as a result of what our Savior did on the cross. And during our during Holy Week and Easter, our focus is on the, the sacrificial death and the resurrection of Jesus, the Messiah. But today, I'm going to take this familiar passage from Luke that we normally only focus on during Easter and change that focus somewhat and perhaps look at look at it in a way that you maybe have not thought of before. What we're going to do is to examine the events that took place on on Golgotha on that Good Friday and see what lessons we can draw from the events that took place, from a conversation that took place on Golgotha, and see what we can learn about true saving faith. So let's begin by reading Luke chapter 23, verses 43. Now, I happen to be using the ESV, but the various translations of these passages are very, very similar. And the people stood by, watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him saying, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals that was hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now the outline of my message today, and I come from a an academic background, so I always believe that I need to tell you what I'm going to tell you before I tell you, that way you'll know when I tell you what I told you I was going to tell you, okay? So, you got that? We're, we're together. Let's look. I'm going to first give you an introduction regarding the scriptural and historical importance of the concept of faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. Now, you're probably sitting there thinking, well, I think I got that down, but we sometimes forget the tremendous importance of this theological position that we take. Secondly, I will discuss what our focal passage has to say about what faith alone and Christ alone is, and then I'm going to tell you what that focal passage tells us what faith alone in Christ alone is not. Excuse me, I got that backwards. It's not, then I'm going to tell you what it is. See, I don't even know what I'm going to (laughs) say. And then I'm next going to say about what faith alone in Christ alone receives. And then I'll talk about how much faith is enough. So, you know, for the past three months... I have been teaching through the book of Galatians in a men's Bible study in my uh, church where I'm a member, and it meets very early on Tuesday morning. Now, I told you I grew up a far- on a farm, and so I'm used to getting up really, er- real early, but most of the guys wandering into that class have jobs, and they're not used, they didn't grow up on a farm. And so we started at 6 o'clock in the morning is when we began this Bible study here. And I, ha- and I have to hand it to the guys that attend because they get up this, this early hour and then they have to listen to me prattle on and wade into very deep theological waters that are contained in the book of Galatians. Now, I'm not preaching on Galatians, but it ties into my subject. You know, Galatians is believed to be the first epistle that Paul wrote. And I've always loved it. And Paul tells us in Galatians 2.16, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. But this is not the only time that Paul speaks of the importance of faith. In Romans 5.1 he writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Then in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, Paul writes, and all of us know this one by heart. I'm going to read the ESV, but I have to overcome my memory of the King James Version here. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. All told, there are 100 references to the concept of salvation by faith alone and Christ alone in the New Testament. So you get the impression that this is a pretty important concept. It is from Paul's letter to the Galatians as well as his epistle to the Romans that the Protestant movement arose. The Reformation began with uh, this concept And Christian history was forever changed. Now, we have trouble kind of understanding that today, but prior to the 16th century, this concept of salvation by faith alone in Christ alone was a foreign concept. The concept of justification through faith was one of the key driving factors throughout the Reformation. And the book of Galatians and the concept of faith alone and Christ alone had profound impact on a young priest by the name of Martin Luther. And it was the impetus behind him nailing his 95 theses on the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral on October the 31st, 1517. Now, just as an aside, some people say that, well... Martin Luther nailed these theses on the door as an act of defiance. <clears throat> well, that's not really quite true. The cathedral door always was a community bulletin board. So you had post up there for everything. The reason... <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm sorry. This, this, this pollen and post-nasal drip is killing me. Uh, the reason that he nailed it on the cathedral door was to announce to the community that he wanted to have a dialogue about these particular issues and a dialogue they indeed had because the Reformation began with that act. Now, to illustrate for you Luther's insistence on the concept of justification through faith in the preface of his 1535 commentary on the book of Galatians, he writes this, and I quote, We have taken it upon ourselves in the Lord's name to lecture on this epistle of Paul to the Galatians once more. This is not because we want to teach something new or unknown. For by the grace of God, Paul is now very well known to you. But it is because, as I often warn you, there is a clear and present danger that the devil may take away from us the pure doctrine of faith and may substitute for it the doctrine of works and human tradition. So passionate was Luther on this issue. A bit later in this same commentary, he writes, and I quote, this is the truth, and by the way, this is one of my favorite quotes from him, this is the truth of the gospel. It is also the principle of thank you so much. It's also the principal article of all Christian doctrine wherein the knowledge of all godliness, godliness consists. Most necessary it is therefore that we know this article well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. You know that's music to a preacher's ears you know that's our job beat it into people's head continually and then once more a little bit later in the commentary he says quote the most principal and special article of christian doctrine for it is this doctrine which maketh true christians indeed if the article of justification by faith be once lost then all then all true christian doctrine is lost Now, I give you all of this kind of uh, highfalutin uh, commentary talk here is that this led to the early Reformation leaders to develop a Latin phrase. So we're going to have a Latin uh, lesson here today. And that Latin phrase was sole fida, solus Christus, sola gratia. Through faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. Now, lest you think for any moment that this doctrine was limited to the Reformation, I'm going to read one more quote from one other commentary. And it was written by John Stott, who is probably one of the greatest modern theologians of the 20th century. And he writes, and I quote, Grace and faith belong indissolubly to one another, since faith's only function is to receive the grace freely given. In our scripture passage today, we see an example of faith alone in Christ alone, by grace alone exemplified. So let's look at that example. Paul and all the great theologians I mentioned earlier make it clear that justification lies in sola fide, sola, solus Christus, sola gratia. Faith in faith alone and Christ alone by grace alone. <clears throat> but why do they? What do they mean by this term faith alone? And how much faith is enough? Now I'm going to address this question today by taking our passage and we're going to examine the people and the events primarily through an exchange that took place, a verbal exchange on a hill called Golgotha. Now just to remind you, I will tell you about what faith alone in Christ alone is not. I will tell you what it is and then I will tell you what faith alone in Christ alone Receives. Then I'll briefly talk about how much faith is enough. So, what is faith alone in Christ alone not? Well, faith alone in Christ alone is not faith that requires Jesus to continually prove himself to you with miraculous power. Now, let's look at this, what we read in verse 23. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Now, just a general observation here. I want you to notice that phrase, and the people stood by watching. They were curious as to see how the events on this hilltop would play out. They wanted to see if some of the things that they had heard about Jesus was true. Doesn't this kind of describe the world outside the church today? They just stand around and they watched. They watched the organized church. They want to see if the church lives up to all of its claims. They're not actively involved, but they are watching. And it's our responsibility as a member of the church universal to make what they see enticing and desirable. But that's a sermon for another day. (laughs) In fact, that's kind of what I'll be talking about next week. But let's get back to the point and take a look at the rulers here. What are they really asking for here? They want Jesus to prove himself by doing what? performing a miracle. You know, I don't know why they want another miracle. Think about it. He's calmed the seas. He's fed 5,000. He's raised Lazarus from the dead here. Just to mention a few of the many miracles that are mentioned in the Scripture. In the scripture, But they just wanted one more. They had chosen not to believe any of those previous miracles that Jesus had performed. And it's why is because they weren't looking for just any miracle. They were looking for a miracle that they wanted. And what was that miracle? Well, <clears throat> they wanted Jesus to be the Messiah they were looking for. They wanted, they, I think they would love for him to have come down from the cross and to run the Romans out of town as long as they could retain their position of power and authority. That they already had. But their faith you might say. On Jesus was predicated on him being miraculous. But their miracle. Not his. But they weren't the only ones looking for the the same uh, unique action on Jesus' part. Look at verses 36 and 37. The soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. They, are, they too here are asking for Jesus to perform a miracle. in their way of thinking, well, kings command armies. Kings have power. The sign above your head, Jesus, says you're a king. But you seem to be in a hopeless position. Show us today if you are truly a king. Prove to us that you are who they say you are. Prove to us that you have more power than Caesar. We'll follow you if you have more power than Caesar. We just want to be on the winning team. We want you to do a miracle. But the miracle is the one that we want. Is faith alone and Christ alone? Is it I should say, faith alone in Christ alone, when we ask for proof. You may recall that after after Jesus fed the 5,000, a large number of the people followed him around to the other side of the lake, and they met him there when, when he arrived. And Jesus said to them, You believe because you have eaten. Are we not the same? Do we not ask Jesus sometime to prove himself to us by some miraculous event? Do we not lay out the proverbial fleece as did Gideon in the book of Judges in chapter 6? It's not faith alone in Christ alone when we require Jesus to continually prove himself through some kind of miracle that we want to take place. Our faith cannot be predicated on that. So it's also not faith alone and Christ alone if it requires Jesus to make our earthly circumstances to be what we want them to be. Look at what one of the two criminals uh, beside Jesus said on that day. In verse 39... One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. You know, it says he railed at him. Some translations that I've read say that he harangued him, which means that he probably didn't say this just once. You know, he kept at it and kept at it here. So what he is saying is, if you're the Christ, change my circumstances. Is this faith alone and Christ alone? You know, I'm very sure in light of the recent tornadoes and Little Rock and the many other communities of this area, there are a lot of people calling upon Jesus to change their circumstances. This is understandable and it is acceptable. But it is not faith alone in Christ alone if our faith is based on requiring Jesus to make our earthly circumstances into what we want them to be. In other words, we cannot say, I'll believe in you if you will change my circumstances. It is faith alone in Christ alone that will see us through our circumstances. I would like to add that evidence of true faith is also not proximity to Christ or being around Him in certain ways. If we're not careful, we begin to fall into the same trap that Paul was addressing in the book of Galatians. Our faith becomes Jesus and something else. I attend church every Sunday. I spend the vast majority of my time with other Christians even outside of church meetings I was raised in a good Christian home. I had wonderful Christian parents. One of my pastors years ago illustrated the fallacy of this argument when he made this statement. I spend a lot of time in a Burger King. That doesn't make me a whopper. As Jesus says in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So faith alone in Christ alone is also not proximity. What we like to think of is proximity to Christ. So while I've told you what faith alone in Christ alone is not, now we turn to the discussion of what faith alone in Christ alone is. We see our first glimpse of what true faith is in verse 40. But the other, and the other being what I'm going to refer to as the penitent thief, but the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? What we see here in this statement of the penitent thief is a heavenly fear of God. We always have to be careful with that word fear, because the modern English gives it a different definition. A better word would be a reverence for, standing in awe of, though I'm pretty sure if we stood before God, there would be a certain amount of, you know, what we would class as fear. But what here in this statement, do you not fear God? The penitent thief acknowledges the existence of God and the fact that he fears God. Faith alone in Christ alone begins with our understanding that there is indeed a perfect, holy, loving, God, but just God. So faith alone in Christ alone is first of all a healthy fear, reverence, and belief in God. Then in verse The first part of verse 41, the penitent thief says, And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds. True faith begins with our recognition that our sin and our guilt is real, and it is deserving of death, and it is deserving of separation from God. This thief is saying, in essence, I am a sinner. I deserve death, and I deserve whatever eternity presently has in store for me. Faith alone in Christ alone is believing our guilt is real and deserving of death and separation from God forever. In the second half of verse 41, this penitent thief makes a rather startling observation. He says, but this man has done nothing wrong. Now, why he drew that conclusion, I can't really say. It is rather startling. But true faith is believing that Jesus lived a sinless, innocent life. True faith comes to the realization that the only acceptable sacrifice for sinful man is a sinless man. He recognized Jesus is that man. Faith alone in Christ alone is believing that Jesus lived a sinless, innocent life. And then the penitent, penitent thief makes a statement that, given his circumstances, is even more amazing to me. Because listen to what he says. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Let's look at the picture here. There are three crosses on a hill called Golgotha. All three crosses bear a man. Each of them was very familiar with crucifixion. They hadn't undoubtedly seen crucifixions before. They were very common, particularly in Palestine at this time. <clears throat> in fact, it was the Romans' favorite means of executing non Roman citizens. They used it as a symbol of the power of Rome and, that, and as a visual threat that this is what's going to be in store for you if you cause trouble for the Romans. Death was slow, it was painful. But it was absolutely guaranteed. If you were hung from a cross by the Romans, you were going to die. Yet this thief says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What in the world was he thinking? Did he too think Jesus was going to come down from the cross? What good did that do? At the base, he was surrounded by Roman soldiers. Did he somehow believe that that Jesus here was going to, to lead some kind of earthly rebellion given the situation? I don't think so. I think he recognized Jesus as a true king. And in his thinking, true kings will have a kingdom. And though I'm not sure he fully understood the how. He understood the certainty and he wanted to be a part of that kingdom. Based on the situation, he knew Jesus was going to die. And this king's kingdom was going to be different. If Jesus was going to have a kingdom, it must be one on the other side of death. True faith alone in Christ alone is believing that Jesus has conquered death risen from the grave, and will come again to rule His eternal kingdom. Amen. So I've told you what true faith alone in Christ alone is not. I have told you what it is. So what does faith alone in Christ alone receive? Well, let's look at Jesus' response. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. True faith alone in Christ alone results in immediate forgiveness and salvation. Notice he says today, not tomorrow, not next week, not after a few years in purgatory. He says today. True faith alone in Christ alone results in immediate forgiveness and salvation with no strings attached because it is by grace alone. True faith alone in Christ alone results in an eternal relationship with an eternal person to enjoy forever. He tells the penitent thief, you will be with me. What an amazing promise Jesus made to this thief. And you know what? He makes the very same promise to us. We will spend eternity with Jesus. Faith alone in Christ alone receives an eternal relationship that also begins immediately upon accepting Christ as Savior that eternal relationship begins the very day, the very moment we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. True faith alone in Christ alone gives us the hope of a future home where there is no more sin or the consequences of sin because he says, you will be with me in paradise. You know, I've studied a lot books about heaven. I've read a lot of writers' claims about what heaven is going to be like. I can't sub, really I can't, uh, for many of their claims, I can't find any scriptural background for it, and I really question some of them, but this I know. I can't tell you what heaven will be like exactly, but I do know this. My Jesus is going to be there. And that's enough. We don't need to argue about whether the streets are asphalt or gold. It doesn't make any difference. My Jesus is going to be there. That's enough. Faith alone and Christ alone gives us the assurance of a future paradise. There's another thing that's not stated here but it is implied in the exchange between Jesus and the penitent thief. And that is, if we have true faith, then we will have the peace of knowing that we don't need to add anything to be more saved or to be more loved by God. Jesus gave no stipulations to this thief. He didn't tell him to go do this or go do that. There wasn't much time, so there wasn't time to do much, for sure. But as Paul teaches in Galatians, it is only faith in Jesus. It is not Jesus and something else. It is faith in Jesus, period. Now, that faith will generate certain things, but it's not those things, it's not any works that come, you might say, that are salvific in nature. It's a result. Of our salvation. Nothing needs to be added. Faith alone in Christ alone receives peace. That you don't need to add anything else. Listen to what I'm about to say very carefully, because if you don't listen carefully, you'll be throwing rocks at me. All right? Because it seems to contradict everything I've told you thus far. Christianity is a works based religion. But it isn't our works. It's his works. He's done all that needs to be done. So, how much faith did that penitent thief have? Did he fully understand from a theological perspective what his express faith really meant? How much faith do we need to have to receive the promise, the same promise as Jesus gave to that thief. A little, a lot, an amount equal to the size of a mustard seed. It isn't the amount of faith that matters. True saving faith isn't in the amount one has. Our faith alone in Christ alone is saving faith because of the object of our faith. The penitent thief placed his faith in Jesus. We are to do the same. Sole fide, solus Christus, sola gratia. Faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. The penitent thief was saved by his faith in Christ by God's grace. That is still true today. And that offer still stands today. Would you please bow your head and close your eyes for a moment? I would ask you to just stop and think for a minute and ask, is your faith predicated on Christ's miraculous works that you expect him to do? do you Is your faith predicated on um, him changing the issues that you face in your life? Are you making the mistake that coming to church, spending time with Christians, is this what your faith is built on? Remember, salvation comes through our faith in Christ, by faith. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this time that we have had here today. And I just pray that we would be ever cognizant of the opportunities that we might have to share our Jesus with all that we come in contact with. And that our faith would be based solely upon the object of our faith. Our faith would be in Christ alone. Because we know, Father, through your grace, you've given us both the faith and a Savior. And as we go through it from this place, I just pray that you would guide us and direct us in every step. For us in the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.